Well, good morning, church. I am Pastor Mike Hofer. I am the student ministries pastor here at Christ Community. And if we haven't met, hi. Now we've all met. That's good. We're best friends now. Add me on Facebook. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you guys about what I feel is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your entire life. And that's not hyperbole. It's not me just trying to be really pastory. Um, this is true. I, I believe this is true. I, fl- I think this is real talk that this subject that we're going to talk about this morning is clearly the most important thing you will ever hear in your entire life. Have you guys ever been excited about something? I mean, really excited. Like, can't wait to tell somebody. Whether it was you got engaged, you remember that moment? Guys, you're all sweaty, your tongue swelled up, like you, you, didn't, you didn't know what you were going to say, like you had it all planned out and it didn't go as you planned, but you're still like, I'm going to just wade through this anyway. And girls, remember when he got down on his knee and you're like, <gasps> either he's hurt or he's going to ask me to marry him. I don't know. Remember that moment? Like, you got so excited, and once it happened, like, you couldn't tell. You couldn't wait to tell somebody. Or maybe it was uh, the moment you found out you're having your first child. If you're a second kid, sorry, we didn't get as important. We didn't get as excited about you. Sorry. Like, oh, again, shoot. No, I'm just kidding. I have two kids, so. But you remember that moment? Maybe you won an award. You were super happy about that. Maybe you got into college. Like, you got your letter of acceptance the first time, right? And you're like, man, this is exciting. I can't wait to tell somebody. That happened to me one time. I was in the fifth grade. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. Like, I still remember the smell of this gym. It smelled like lunchroom and gym socks. You know what I'm saying? Like, it had the old green tile. I, I mean, it's so vivid in my mind right now. The, the basketball goals had these red, just fully red boxes in the middle. They weren't clear. They were just red. Like, they didn't want you to miss your bank shot. Like, put it in the red square. The nets were orange. Nobody has orange nets. They're like white, right? Like, these are orange nets. They had these old school bleachers, like the ones where you sit and watch an entire game and your, your backside hurts, your back hurts, your legs hurt, your foot fell asleep. You got to shake it off where you can walk back to the car. This is before we got soft and got like padded cushions to put underneath ourselves before we went to the game. Remember? I remember the smell. I remember the sight. I remember what happened. We were down by one with three seconds to go. And, and my man Damon Lewis got the ball in, in, the, in the paint, and, and, and he went to shoot the ball, and he was like tackled, and the ball goes up on the rim, and it circles around like a toilet bowl for, for what I thought was an eternity. Like, is this ball ever going to go in the basket? The horn goes off, nah, and the ball goes in. And we win the first state championship that I was ever a part of in the fifth grade. And I remember running around the, the, the court like, oh, my goodness, we won, we won, we won, trying to find somebody to hug like Jimmy Valvano style. It was crazy. I still will tell that story today, and I get this, 
this thing in me, this excitement, like, I know you're shocked that I can be excited about something, but I got really, ex- I still, to this day, I mean, I, I remember I told that story for six months, and my dad would just go, stop telling the story, we get it. I was excited. Church, I don't see that same excitement when it comes to talking about Jesus. You see, we're in the middle of this this series called The World Needs You. And it's kind of a a, a double entendre kind of because the world does need you, God. The world needs a savior. The world needs hope. The world needs grace. The world needs love. The world needs truth. All of those things that come from God. But guess what, church? The world also needs you. God has ordained us as as these chosen people of God, this this church, this ecclesia, this sent ones, the called ones, all these cool biblical words. God has ordained us to be the plan A, to take this message into a world that needs to hear it. And I can give you all the excuses. Like we know them, right? Like we know them by heart. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough scripture. I'm scared. What if I get rejected? They don't want to hear it anyway. Oh, they'll never get it. They're not chosen. Like we've had all those excuses, right? Like we know all the excuses. Well, today I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about a story where I think we can, we, we can all come to agreement at the end of today is my hope is this, that we understand the importance outweighs the excuse. And that we need to get back in touch with that excitement the first time. You remember the first time you bumped into Jesus? Do you remember the, 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 the excitement? You remember the emotion? You remember crying tears? You remember going, something is different? You remember that? We need to tap back into that and say, man, I want to go and share that with someone else. So if you're with me this morning, even if you're not, even if you're like, this guy's crazy, turn to 2 Kings, Old Testament. We're going old school. I know it's a little hard to read, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. I wish I could read you the whole story. I wish I could read you like chapter 6 and chapter 8. I wish I could read you the whole thing because there's this really cool thing going on with, with the prophet Elisha, the one with the S, not the one with the J. You get confused on those two sometimes. This is Elisha, and Elisha is, is basically in this battle with, with, with the, the evil one. He's in this battle, like cool things are happening. If you don't think the Bible is cool, go read 2 Kings. There's some really cool stuff that happens in 2 Kings. If they made 2 Kings into an actual like real, the Bible story movie, it would be phenomenal. It'd be a blockbuster. Sorry, church, it'd probably be rated R. Sorry. But there's this cool thing that happens in chapter 6 where Elisha makes the head of an axe float. That's kind of cool. Like I've had an axe head before and they were heavy. I don't think I can make mine float. And he does that. 
Then, it, then, then all of a sudden he, he confuses the whole Syrian army and they go to the wrong town that they were going to lay siege. They got tired of, of Elisha telling the, the, the Israelite army where they were going to be. And, and, and God said, I'm going to confuse them. They're going to go to another town. And then the, the king of Syria just gets fed up. He's like, man, I'm going to go kill Elisha. And so um, then, then he, gets, he gets confused, goes to the wrong place. And then the king of that place gets, gets mad at Elisha. He's like, well, now they're here to kill us. And so now I hate you too. And so Elisha's in this place where he's got everybody coming against him. And all he does is continue to do the work of God. And if we pick it up in chapter 7... There's a famine happening because the Syrian army, some Bibles say the Aramean army, some say the Syrian army, same army, different word. And so the, the, the Aramean army, the Syrian army has kind of set siege in, in Samaria, this, this town, this, this Israelite town, and, and they're, they're, they're starving. They, they use this old school war tactic where they set up a blockade and no food can get in, no food can get out. And so the people inside of this city, they're starving to death. It's so bad that if you read in chapter 6, it says that the price of food skyrocketed. Chapter 6, right around verse 26, it says the, the, the actual word says that the head of a donkey, that sounds delicious, right? The head of a donkey costs like six times more than it would have if, if the blockade wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden, they, they got so bad that the king is walking on the top of the castle, and he looks out, and there's a mother out there that says, we're so hungry, we're starting to eat our own children. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? And the king rips his, his clothes, which was a sign of mourning in those days. And underneath his clothes, he had sackcloth, which was also a sign of mourning in those days. And the people saw the king was in mourning, and they go, it's bad. Guys, can I tell you something this morning? There's so many people in our world today who are torn and broken, and they're saying it's bad. But God sends his people to tell the good news. And you see Elisha tells one of the, the generals that before the end of the day, grain will be cheap again. Flour will be cheap again. We're going to have an abundance of food. And the, the general says, that can't happen. He says, even if, the, even if God opened up the, the heavens today, we wouldn't have enough grain in the morning. Well, then we jump to the first part of chapter 7. There's this, these lepers sitting outside of the city gates. Because they're lepers, they can't go inside the city gates because nobody wants to be around a leper. Basically, a leper was any kind of like crazy skin disease. We, we often think of them sometimes as like your fingers will fall off. It, it, it eats your flesh in all of your um, appendages, your toes, your ears, your nose, your fingers, all that stuff. I know I just said your toes. Those are not your toes. Those are your fingers. And so it eats your, the fleshy parts of your body. And, and so they weren't allowed into the city because they stunk. They were nasty. It was gross. They're sitting outside the city at this point, And they go, look. We're going to die. 
We can't go back into the city. Even if we could go back into the city, there's a famine going on inside there. And so we're not going to go in there. You know what we can do? We can go out to the Syrian army. And either one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to kill us or we're going to get fed. Church, when we share the good news, only one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to accept it or they're not. It's not that hard. And so they decide to go in to the Syrian, uh, the Syrian army. And I want to read for you what happens there in verse 7. Starting with verse uh, 3, it says this. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here and die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out to surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried. They, so they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. Now what's happening here is at night the Assyrian army, the Assyrian army heard that they, what they thought was an attacking um, army of Egyptians and Hittites. They thought the Israelites had got word out and that their allies were coming and they heard all that. And if you read back in chapter 6, you'll see that Elisha tells the king that to look out, look out above uh, past the army and he would, and, and, and he saw, the Lord opened up his eyes and he saw these great chariots and horses, the army of the Lord. And so what happened was the Lord had sent that sound of the army into the camp of the Arameans and the Arameans got scared and they ran away and didn't take any of their stuff with them and then what happens is this when the lepers arrived chapter verse 8 when the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp they went into one tent after another eating and drinking wine and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it finally they said to each other listen to this church this is not right this is a day of good news And we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeeper shouted the news to the people in the palace. Let me give you a few things this morning to take with you. The first one is this. We all fall short. You may be sitting out there and thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Mike, I, I'm not good enough. I don't, I'm not smart enough. I haven't studied enough scripture. Again and again throughout the entirety of scripture, we find one thing. We find many things, but we find this one thing about, about being, coming short, falling short. God doesn't use you because you have it all together. God constantly uses people who have fallen short. 
Let me tell you this. Let me ask you this question. Think about this for a second. Were the disciples disciples because they had been discipled? Or were they disciples because Jesus said, follow me? He pulls up on the disciples, and, and, and these guys are not the best of the best. They, they literally, if they were the best of the best, they would have already had a teacher. They would have already left their father's business. These guys were the leftovers. He rolls up to the disciples, and what's he say to them? Follow me. He doesn't question them. He doesn't give them a test. He doesn't say, do you have it all together? He doesn't say, can you read the Torah word for word, all five books? He says, no, follow me. And so God is telling us in this, we all fall short, and it's okay all you have to know is do you got it then go give it and then these lepers these lepers were the worst of the worst they weren't even allowed inside the city and God used them to go out and get what he already provided and he says now go back and tell the people in the palace you see you all fall short And if you're sitting in here this morning and you say, Pastor Mike, I don't have it, that's okay. I don't have it all together either. I could preach you an entire message about how I don't have it together. And if my wife was here, she probably would have gave you an amen right there. (laughs) We all fall short. But there's some good news. Secondly, we all need salvation. Not only do we all fall short, we all need salvation. You see, the lepers knew they were going to die. They knew it. They said, we're either going to sit here and starve to death, we're either going to go back in the city and starve to death, or we're going to go out and see this Aramean army, and they're going to kill us, or they're going to give us food. There comes a point in our life, church, when we have to realize that we need salvation. If you haven't gotten to that place yet, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to me, Pastor Mike, I don't know that I understand this Jesus thing. I don't know that I get it. I don't know that I'm on board with it. That's entirely okay. God still loves you. The word says that yet we were sinners. When we were still sinners, he died for us. He didn't die for the clean. The word also says that, that he did not come to save the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. For us, church, we have to realize that we need salvation. So if you're here and you don't have it yet, my hope is that the Spirit will speak to you this morning and you'll realize that you need it. And if you're here this morning and you got it, my hope and my prayer is that the Spirit will speak to you and let you understand that there's a whole world out there that needs to hear about what you already have. Because we all need salvation. You see, there's a story about about a guy who's in his neighborhood and it flooded. And he climbed up on the top of his house, the roof of his house, And he prays to God, please, God, send salvation. Please, God, send help. And then a little kayak, guy on a kayak rolls by. He says, hey, you on the house, come and jump in my kayak. And he goes, no, thank you. God's going to send salvation. And then a guy on a boat, that's my boat noise, trolling motor rolls on by. Hey, we got plenty of room. God, come on in. He says, no, thank you. God is going to send my salvation. 
Then the Coast Guard shows up, drops the ladder down. Come on up, come on up. He goes, no, God's got me. Well, the flood gets too high and the guy drowns. He gets to heaven and he asks Jesus, why didn't you save me? He said, what do you want? I sent you a kayak, a boat, and a helicopter. Church, I'm here this morning to tell you, you are the kayak, the boat, and the helicopter. All we need to do is go out and tell people about Jesus. Because it's not on us anyway. Next thing is this. We can all receive the gift. We can all receive the gift. The lepers did absolutely nothing to deserve the gift. They did nothing. They didn't chase the army away. The Spirit of the Lord did that. They didn't send the army there. Elisha did that because God told him to send them there. He told him to blind them and and get them lost, and they came to the wrong person. Guess what? All of that was already set up by God. The lepers did absolutely nothing to get the gift. If you're sitting in here this morning and you say to me, Pastor Mike, I don't deserve the gift. Guess what? You're right. I didn't deserve the gift. You guys have heard my story before. I was dealing drugs in my youth ministry when I was a teenager, and I found Jesus. Tell me how I deserve that gift. Nobody deserves that gift, but we can all get it. It's called God's providence. He set it up beforehand. Now, before you think that I'm like, Going off into the Calvinist realm here, that's okay. I love my Calvinist brothers and sisters. But I also believe that we have a choice in the matter. And it's called faith. And what happens, church, is this. It's like walking. You take a step, and you take another step. And you take another step, and you take another step. That's walking, right? I mean, that's walking 101. We all learned that when we were like three, most of us. Well, providence is the first step. And if we never took another step, God is already at work. He's already done the work. But church, it takes our step of faith to move forward. And then the step of providence goes again before us. And then the step of faith goes again before us. Then the step of providence goes before us. The step of grace goes before us. The gift is already there for you to take. It's called providence. Now what you have to do is step ahead in faith. That's all it takes. We overcomplicate this thing sometimes. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not that complicated. God has already provided providence of the gift if you're here this morning, you say, I don't really get this Jesus thing. I want, you, I want to tell you this this morning. Listen to me. Listen. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about that. You hear me say that all the time. It's kind of my sign off. Like, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I get that from God. Because God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. That's called God's providence. But not to overcomplicate it. The only thing you have to do to be saved is to believe in faith. Confess with your mouth that he is who he is and be saved. 
Then there's a process, and we will talk about that process at another time called discipleship, where you repent, and you continue to repent, and you continue to grow, and you, and you be transformed, and the Holy Spirit takes over all these rooms in your, in your heart, and, and you become this, this crazy new person, and the person I'm, I am today, I'm so glad I'm not the same person I was five years ago. I'm so glad I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I'm so glad I'm not the same person I was 20, 30 years ago. That's called, that's called um, it's, it's this process of discipleship, but what happened to me at salvation was this. God God already provided the gift, I stepped into it. Just like the leper stepped into the gift that God had given, providence. And we can all receive that gift. There's not a person in this room that is outside of the gift of God. There's not a person outside of this place that is outside of the gift of God. You know that person in your office? You know the one I'm talking about. Nobody likes, gets on everybody's nerve. That person's not outside of the gift of God. You know that family member who has wronged you again and again and again and again? Not outside of the gift of God. Church, we can all receive the gift. Next is this. We all will meet God. We'll all meet God someday. That's a given, church. The word says to be absent with the body is to be present with God. Someday we're going to leave this body and we're going to be present with God. There's this cool little statement that happens in 2 Kings that it says, if we wait until morning... Some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Here's what the lepers knew. Eventually the king was going to find out. The king was going to figure it out eventually. So they knew if they waited. And you, have you, Did your parents ever tell you, if you just tell the truth, it would be less on you? You remember that? Remember those, remember those times? That's absolutely a lie most of the time the parents tell, but... It was never better. Like, it was never like, oh, you get grace. Here's a, here's a cookie. Like, but do you remember that statement? Like, it's always better if you tell the truth. The lepers knew that at this point. Listen, the king's going to find out. Church, the king already knows. He knows everything that's in your life. He knows everything that has happened. He knows your person. He knows every hair on your head. And for some of y'all, that's not that much to count. But he knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought in your heart. He knows everything that goes on in your head. And guess what? He still loves you. That's crazy, right? But church, those of you sitting here today and you already got it, you know it. I got another thing for you. God knows God knows. If you're not sharing the gospel, he knows. Check Matthew 25. You don't have to turn there. You can check it later if you want. But Matthew 25, there's this, there's this story about goats and sheep, right? They kind of banned me from saying the word sheep in this church, but I say, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, some of y'all are sitting here like, what is he talking about? Just ask. It's okay. I've embraced it at this point. But there's a story in Matthew 5 about goats and sheep. And both of these types of people walk up to God and they say, Lord, Lord, we know you. They both use the same word, Lord. They both use the word master. They both use the word, you're over us. We know you. But guess what? They get separated. 
One group hears, well done, my good and faithful servant. The other group says, depart from me, I never knew you. You know the only difference between the two groups? God says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was a stranger in your land, you brought me in. When I was a prisoner, you visited me. That's the only difference. The difference is, what are we doing to the least of these? What are we doing for those who do not know? That's the difference. Church, I'm not so naive to think that some people are going to sit in church their whole life and they're going to get to heaven. They're going to go, God, what about me? And he's going to go, depart from me. I never knew you. Because his word also says that if you're ashamed of me in front of others, I will be ashamed of you in front of my father. Because we're all going to meet God someday. And you might be sitting here again today and you're saying, Pastor Mike, I don't know Jesus. That's okay. Listen. He judges those of us who don't know him, that know him, way more than he judges the ones who do not know him. He wants a relationship with you. Church, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the rub. How will we handle this good news? Because here's the thing about the good news. It's the gospel. <laughs> The word gospel literally means the good news. So how will you handle the good news? You see, there's two people in here there's, that, that I believe. There's, there's those of you in here that say, man, I don't know Jesus yet. And that's okay. And then there's those of you who have it, that you've already ran into Jesus. He's changed your life. You've been saved. Whatever word you want to use. Both of you Groups have a way to handle this information, this good news. If you're sitting in here this morning and you know Christ, my prayer and my hope and my challenge to you is this. Choose one person the rest of this year that you're going to share the gospel with. I have a friend of mine, every time he meets me, every time we, every time we connect, every time we talk to each other, he asked me this question, who have you led to Christ since the last time we talked? Church, I know way too many Jesus people who have never led anybody to Christ. That hurts. Think of one person right now that you're going to tell Jesus about this year. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I, I want to I tell you something. I, want, I just want you to hear this. God loves you. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And he wants to have a relationship with you. This whole thing is a relationship. And, and you know what relationships are like? They're messy. They're not perfect. They take work. And you don't have to have it all together. I think I, I want to apologize to anybody in here that don't know Jesus because I think sometimes as a church and as church people, we have set it up as such that we have it all together. The church was really the first social media. And by that, I mean this. We would come to church and we would put on our filter face and everyone sitting around us are like, man, these church people have it all together. There's no way I can match what they got going on. And they would just give up because it's too hard to be perfect. 
If you're sitting here this morning, you don't know Jesus, I apologize. I'm going to tell you this. We are not perfect. We're just forgiven. We just know this Jesus guy that loves us. Even in our worst moment, he loves us. And, we, and we're part of this church, this body that allows you to be imperfect, but yet challenges you to be more. That's what we do. And it's not that complicated. So I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, he wants to know you. And church, who's that person that you're going to share Jesus with this year? Because here's, I want you to hear this statement. says this, verse 9. Finally, they said to each other, the lepers, this is not right. This is a day of good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. Church, are you doing right? Because if you've been given this gift, this free gift, it didn't cost you a thing. And we're not going back and telling the people in the palace who are dying of a famine, we do not well. We're not doing right. So my challenge, let's do right by the gift of God. I got this video I want you to watch as we close this morning. I'm going to come back and we're going to pray. Check out this video. Stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it, so I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door, as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it, and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. And they would be able to help the people who have not yet found the door, or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them, and remember they are there too. Where? Outside the door, thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, 
whose hands I am intent to put on the latch, so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. Church, are we ready to do right? Are we ready to stand by the door and help people find Jesus? Notice one thing, though. They didn't open the door for him. Here's some more good news. You don't have to save anybody. The Spirit of God does that. Our job is just to go out and tell. And so this morning I want to pray, and, and Pastor Dwayne's going to play. I got two challenges this morning. One is for those of you in this room who do not yet know Jesus. I encourage you. Let's pray about it. Somebody will meet you down here, I promise. Prayer team, if you want to come on forward. and Somebody will meet you down here. and They'll walk you through it. They'll, they'll talk about who Christ is. It's not magical like this place, but there's something about meeting with Jesus. And somebody will tell you about him in just simple, plain terms. So if you haven't met him yet, I just challenge you. I encourage you to come and meet who Christ is. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You just got to say, I want to know more. I believe. I have faith that this gift is free. And church... Those of you who already know Christ, I want to challenge you this morning this. I want you to come down this morning and pray over a name that you will share Jesus with this year. It's hard, I know. What if they look at me differently? What if they reject me? What if they don't? What if I don't know? The Spirit of God knows. So that's my challenge this morning, church. And I just want to pray for you. And if you, if, if you want somebody to pray for you and you want to pray about that this morning, the altar is always open. You can pray right where you are if, if that's more comfortable. You can ask somebody to come and pray with you if you can't move. We'll do whatever we need to do to pray this morning. But I challenge you to make a step forward. There's something about that that's empowerful. So church, let's pray this morning. Father God, I just thank you for this gift. Thank you for your word. It just speaks, Father God. Thank you for this story thousands of years ago about these two lepers and Elisha. That even today in 2018, Columbus, Georgia, it speaks about this wonderful gift that is the good news, salvation. Father, I pray that your grace is abundant in this place, that people will hear your voice, that if they have something that they need to pray about, that they will come forward. Father, that you would move in such a mighty and powerful way that that hearts would be quickened, that people will move and that your will would be done and that the world will be a different place because of transformed lives for the kingdom of God, that we won't hold that inside, that we will take it out, that your spirit will empower us to take it outside of these walls, to go out and tell the people the good news. Help us to do right. 
Father, may you receive all the glory because it's nothing that we do. It's everything that you have done. Father God, the work is done. Father, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We love you this morning because you first loved us. And there's nothing we can do about that. If you're here this morning and you want to pray, you can come.